welcome to the latest episode of the podcast, The Shift. I'm Shay Candish, the General Secretary of the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association and the host of this show. First off, this week is Emergency Nurses Week, and I wanted to acknowledge all my fellow emergency colleagues for the work you do. Working in our state's emergency departments isn't always easy, and the past few years have been particularly exhausting, but it's always rewarding work. So a very happy Emergency Nurses Week to everyone, and I hope we can secure safe staffing in our ED soon. Today, I'm joined by an emergency nurse with an incredible story. James Adams is an ED nurse in Western New South Wales and the president of the NSW NMA's Bathurst branch. On top of this, he's a trained paramedic, a TV extra and an organ donor. He's also been awarded the Oberon Young Citizen of the Year and St John Bravery Award and has featured on Family Feud along with some of his ED colleagues. Talk about a full schedule. Thanks for taking the time to join me on the show today, James. No worries. Thanks for having me, Shay. It's awesome. So you're a pretty interesting fellow. Uh, Tell us a bit about um, how you ended up in emergency and happy emergency nurses week. Yeah, thanks. And same to you. Um, So ED was like a long journey, really. Like started at 11 when I was a volunteer for St John Ambulance. And, you know, those foundational skills, they just continued to build up until I was an AIN. I uh, did that at school and then we progressively got further through there. So I started off in aged care, then became a rehab nurse for four years and just suddenly decided that I needed a bit of a change. And yeah, threw on over to um, the emergency department, started the emergency short stay unit in Bathurst and got that foundation, got myself in there and became one of these unique individuals that ED people are. So tell me a bit about that start in St. John's Ambulance. Were you one of the families that, you know, lots of your family was involved and you'd go from like sport season to sport season or, you know, big kind of horse racing cups or what was the sort of setup in your life that made you go and start there? Yeah, so my neighbour basically invited me into the group one day and it went from there. So I was regularly at uh, all sorts of events from the Bathurst 1000, which was, you know, the major event for us. Um, But also the little shows, we came down here to um, concerts and things at Acer Arena at the time. And, you know, just, just developed that community and those skills that I think youth organisations provide. Yeah, nice. And so then obviously that natural leap into kind of critical care and emergency. So tell me a bit about how you found it being an emergency nurse and what keeps you coming back every day. Uh, Well, what keeps me coming back every day is just that um, satisfaction of change that we get when we see that person that's really unwell and then we're in there working our butts off and making the best out of that situation. So, you know, those outcomes for the patient, they're just amazing. I always found like um, the thing that kept me coming back every day is, you know, the autonomy that you have. uh, And I'm sure lots of specialties are similar, but certainly in emergency, you have a really great amount of autonomy to get in there and really uh, exercise your own decision making. And it keeps it pretty vibrant and fresh. And obviously it's always different because you don't know what's coming in the door anyway, but your ability to kind of go, "Mm, what's happening here and what can I do? And like really work that through yourself. I always found incredibly satisfying. Yeah, you're constantly thinking on your feet and there's always something new and you've just always got a challenge in front of you, whatever it may be. Yeah, for sure. And so talk me through, you know, post-pandemic, what's it been like for you in your ED? 
Look, pandemic times itself, the first two years were pretty cruisy for us out in Bathurst. We didn't really get um, any COVID until Omicron started. So prior to that, you know, to build morale and everything, I was out in the waiting room with all of our staff trying to do TikTok dances just to build us all up and, uh, you know, recover from that stressful time that was there. But now it's uh, it's definitely back to normal, if not worse. We're seeing certainly more presentations um, and much sicker people. So it's constant work, 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 constant pressure. Those staffing shortages that we all know about, we've all heard about it. They're definitely there. Yeah. And, um, you know, the wait time's just out of proportion. Yeah. And talk me through the people when you say much sicker people. What's your take on that? Have people been, you know, diverting their usual preventative care and access to GPs over the last couple of years? Is that why you think you're seeing sicker people or what's the word? Yeah, absolutely. And um, like we certainly find out at home that if a person's got any form of respiratory symptom, whether it even just be a fever, those GPs are saying, you know what, you're best just going to ED and get sorted. So they try and delay that a little bit more than normal. And they end up in us, in our EDs in a sicker situation than what they probably could have if they just had that simple step earlier. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely what we're seeing across the state. Talking about GPs, um, you know, obviously you're coming from a regional town. What's that? What's GP access like and what's the impact on your ED? Yeah, I mean, we've got heaps of GPs, but they're always full. Um, So all those cat fours and fives that we all know and see, they're coming up because they can't get their GP appointments. And, you know, having having something like the 24-hour GP service or an after-hours clinic would just be amazing for us and take that impact off us. Um, Certainly decrease our numbers. Yeah, for sure. Well, fingers crossed, we've got an announcement from the ALP if they end up in government that we'll end up with one nurse to three patients uh, in EDs. And, you know, we're having some discussions with the government. So fingers crossed we end up with um, a commitment from all sides of politics to do better in this space in the new year um, as, you know, the pressure from the the March election bears down on them. Uh, I think they can see their communities are pushing them to do better. Yeah, they need them to act and they need it now. Yeah, definitely. Um, Look, I'm going to change it up a little here. So you're an actor uh, as a TV extra. Talk me through how you ended up in uh, this line of work and what's it been like for you? So uh, about my third year in, I was working in um, rehab and I just got a little bit bogged down, feeling those pressures and certainly feeling the, you know, want to leave I guess in that profession like we do and somebody just said to me you know what you need to find your passion why don't you just try something completely out of the ordinary and they found me a little advertisement for Dr Doctor which was filmed in Mudgee at the time so headed on over and they saw me they fitted me straight away and they're like yep guess what you're here for five years and we're going to have you on board so (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome yeah and so yeah I have to admit, I'm not a watcher of Dr. Doctor. So can you talk me through what it's about and what you're doing in that work? Um, so Dr. Doctor is basically, you know, a fictional town of Wyhope. And uh, they they create this environment where the doctor goes out to the, the scene like the paramedics would. They see that emergency intense thing of a rural setting. The tractors are rolled over. They sort them in, on scene and then they bring them back to their little ED in country New South Wales. <laughs> um, so a little bit unrealistic in some senses, but certainly like the clinical nature of it all, what underpins it is quite real. Mm-hmm. Um, they had really good um, support from their clinical advice people. Uh, the only real time that you know things could have been improved is there was a patient that they had tubed and funnily enough you know first scene tube was certainly in their mouth and then as they moved camera 
tube somehow migrated down near chin and certainly wasn't near an airway <laughs> at all. <laughs> uh, that reminds me of like All Saints, you know, when they're like bagging the patient and the mask isn't on their face or, you know, they've got yeah. the number of breather and like the bags flat. <laughs> Deflated, no oxygen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you've helped them to avoid many bloopers. Oh, absolutely. It was amazing. I think I think I was actually causing my own blooper there for, for a start because um, one of my first scenes, I'm sitting in a Chinese restaurant and uh, they gave us prop food and then they also gave us this real food that we could eat. So <laughs> here I am with my chopsticks trying to eat edamame beans and never had experience in edamame bean before. They didn't say, you know, oh, you have to peel this. So chewing on the husky fibres, yum, 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 keep it going. And uh, because I did it first take, every take thereafter, I had to be chewing on these husky fibres. <laughs> and fibre content was certainly perfect that week, I can assure you. <laughs> oh, good to know. <laughs> I'll know what to um, offer someone that comes in with constipation next time. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. So um, for people that might be interested in getting into this sort of work, is it easy to find? Is it enjoyable? What's been your experience? Look, easy to find. Uh, depends where you're going. If you see something that's just advertised and you're thinking, why not? Just absolutely give it a shot. Um, the harder to find ones like Home and Away, which is another one that I've been on this year, you do need an agent. And um, it was just by pure luck that I landed that this year. Uh, so, you know, another role that I was, was a police officer completely out of my element and I just had surgery and you know, what do police do? They generally run after the criminals and here I am begging, please don't make me run. But yep, I was chasing people upstairs a week post-op. So yeah, it's certainly an experience that I'd recommend to anybody and just, you know, we know what it's like as nurses, we get bogged down. Sometimes we just need that release. And if that's what it is for you, then go for it. Yeah, so you're not always playing a nurse. You do, do you do other types of acting roles as well? Absolutely. So, Doctor Doctor, my main my main role was really a bartender. So uh -huh. here I am shaking martinis. You know, uh, ED nurses, I guess we kind of do like the bar, so that did fit. <laughs> um, but yeah, shaking the martinis and having a good chat with Roger Corsa and a few of the other actors there—that was certainly some highlights. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, nice. Oh, that's very interesting. And so when you were saying it's uh, filmed in Mudgee, I get the impression that you really um, are like well and truly embedded in your community. Regional life is kind of what you do, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was born in Penrith, but when my family made that decision to go out to Bathurst, I wouldn't look back. It's, it's certainly um, country lifestyle is me. And, mm -hmm. you know, we... We go to work, we, we do our challenges every day, but I think in a rural setting, we know our community and we see them come in and when somebody's sick, it's like your family members there. So it, regardless of if it's me or anybody else, we treat everybody with that love and compassion of the family. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, for people that maybe have never worked regionally or, you know, maybe they're thinking about it, what would you, what, you know, what kind of advice might you have for them about regional life? What, what does it offer you that you just don't think you can get in the metro or big cities? I mean, you'll certainly get your challenges. Uh, so it's a diverse environment like all EDs, but you'll get things that you'll never expect. You know, your organophosphate poisonings or your tractor rollovers, your truck crashes, um, just that diversity. And, you know, in our smaller sites, you know, I went out to Burke for a little while there to help them with their staffing crisis. And it's you, you're the RN, you're running the facility. There is no doctor. 
you've got to do what you do. And if something comes in, your skills are the, what is needed. So mm. if you're willing to step up and go for it, head regional. Yeah, definitely. And so how did you find the experience when you were at Burke? Did you find it fulfilling? Absolutely. Uh, you know, they gave us all the warnings that, you know, shit was going down basically and um, be prepared. But you go in, you take it um, as it is and you make it yours. And that's the way I look at every job or anything that I do. You go in, you make it yours. And it was certainly a reward because isolation, you're in there being a remote nurse, dealing with these doctors wherever they might be because most of them weren't even in New South Wales. They were elsewhere. Yeah, through a video link or, you know, for people that are listening who have never experienced telehealth, talk them through what that's like. Yeah, so you and a camera or a headset, basically, the doctor's looking at at the patient, your eyes, ears, nose, mouth, whatever they need to be. And um, if you don't have those skills, the patient's not going to get the care they need. They need it there and they need it now because most of the time we've got our you know rural farmers that don't come into ED because they're stoic. They'd just rather stay at home. And then by the time they get to us, they're unwell. You know, they need work. They need it now. Yeah. So what sort of um, conditions were you seeing come through the ED when you were using telehealth? Uh, so I think the worst one was, um, you know, a single car rollover. We had two patients and both of them were critically unwell, needed to be flown out. Uh, we also had a ruptured appendix in our ED. And we've got to remember that when we're at an MPS, there's two on overnight on a night shift. And this MPS in particular has an aged care facility. So when an ED is busting, that aged care or even the acute ward, unfortunately, because of the staffing conditions, is just absolutely neglected. So you're it. And what you can do is what you can do. And some days you feel terrible because you just can't do enough. Yeah. But that's, that's how they've set us up. Yeah. So for people listening, an MPS is a multi-purpose service and we have lots of them scattered around um, regional New South Wales, particularly West and Far West and Murrumbidgee and, you know, up in the um, uh, North Coast sort of area. Um, And yeah, usually you have kind of, you know, a dozen aged care beds, give or take, depending on how big the MPS is and a couple of ED beds and maybe a couple of acute beds. And like you said, usually it's sort of two or three staff, depending on how big the MPS is. So it's a pretty challenging and I I would assume dynamic work environment, right? Because it would be, I'm really varied based on what walks in through your ED. Absolutely. I mean, you get your your common presentations that you would get down here, but literally anything can walk in out there. They don't have the option of going to another ED or another service or, you know, the next GP over. They've just got you. Yeah. And so when you've got a, you know, multi-person car accident come through the door and you've got telehealth with a doctor on the end of a phone or a video line, um, what do you do? So, as I said, you're the eyes, ears, hands, nose, every smell, every, every touch, everything you need. You're constantly reassessing that patient. You're hands on for everything from airway breathing circulation. That's you. You don't have the choice of, yep, your co-workers there. Um, you're everything. You're doing the assessment. You're feeding that information back. You're starting the treatments. And then doctor comes along on their little headset or camera and they give you a little bit more. And then it's either stay and play or get them out of there, whatever it might be. Yeah. And um, we all know, you know, isolated times, it can take hours sometimes for that patient to get out of there. So you're running an ICU in your ED sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, pretty challenging environment, right? Yeah, absolutely. 
Mm. But I have to say, when I speak with nurses that work regionally and remote, they love it, exactly as you said, because they're kind of embedded in their community. And, you know, the the even more challenging thing is like sometimes the people that come in are people they know because they're part of their community, right? So they're Absolutely. even more desperate to make sure that the difference that they make really counts. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's really interesting, you know, obviously we're um, having huge workforce shortages just generally across the country, but I think regional and remote areas are experiencing it a lot more acutely. So, um, you know, it's great when people hear really positive stories, I think, about um, the work that you can do. And even though it is challenging, some of it can be incredibly rewarding. So, you know, if anyone's interested, um, it's definitely worth giving it a bit of a go, isn't it? Yeah, and you know what? You've got a five or ten grand incentive at the moment, so take that opportunity. That's very true. That's right. Good opportunity to get out and give it a go while there's an incentive scheme. So one of your other passions is around organ donation. So talk to me a bit about um, how that kind of became something you were interested in and how you've become involved. So my mother is actually an organ recipient, um, and this is her second kidney, which firstly belonged to me. So she was very unwell. We went through a big process over about three years for me to try and donate my kidney to her. And um, unfortunately, an, uh, an organ donation, especially for a kidney transplant, is seen as an elective surgery. So during mm -hmm. the pandemic, elective surgeries were cancelled. That couldn't happen. Mm -hmm. uh, so this year, I actually got the go ahead and went into hospital and was able to give my kidney to my mum. And let's just say it was certainly a unique uh, experience being on the other side of uh, the nursing stick. Being a patient is definitely different. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you find it when you say it was different? Was it uh, overwhelming? Was it scary? Was it, you know, sometimes knowing what's coming, I feel like can be an interesting experience. Yeah, so all of the above. I mean, you come out post-op and you're basically tethered to the bed. You've got a drain in situ going to one side. You've got your IDC on the other side. You've got a cannula with a PCA. You've got your cardiac monitoring and you're just laying there starfishing, basically, going, help me. <laughs> and, um, you know, what we're pushing for, one to four on a surgical ward in, you know, our areas, that would have made an absolute difference because my post-op recovery was challenging. I, I became tachycardic and my poor nurse was junior and she was flailing and had no support. So me being the patient had to put my educator hat on and talk her through my clinical review and basically run it for her. Mm -hmm. She had no support whatsoever, even from our medical colleagues. And I, I wonder if I didn't have those ED skills or even that, just a health background, what could happen? I mean, I could have deteriorated further and that poor nurse, no support. That's terrible to hear. And, but, you know, <laughs> tough that even when you're a patient, you don't quite get to turn off, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, having that background, I mean, that's what drove me to get out, um, you know, up in 24 hours, get that PCA down, get that drain out. And then 48 hours, I was out of there. So happy. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And so tell me, um, Back on this side as a nurse, what's the patient experience taught you in terms of how you provide care to other patients? Um, everything, all around, like your communication skills, your need to be there for that patient. Because for me, I was isolated in that bed. I couldn't move. I had my buzzer. But, you know, because of the shorting, the, the staffing issues, 
it might have taken them 45 minutes to answer my call. I remember being nauseous the next morning and literally I just had to be there and just plug along and just go, I hope someone comes or I hope it settles one of the two or I'm going to end up wet. <laughs> That's terrible. Well, I'm pleased to hear you've come through it and come, came through quickly and came through well. And I hope your mum came through it well as well. So, um, you know, that's a really good kind of learning experience, if nothing else, I suppose. Absolutely. We yeah. do what we can and, yep, we just, sometimes it's not enough, but we just are and have to do what we can. And tell me, um, has it changed your approach to like advocating for organ donation or um, helping people to be aware about how they might become organ donors themselves or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. Especially, you know, post a recess, for example, it's, it's something that in a rural situation, we don't have access to those services straight up. And until you actually start that discussion and get the ball rolling, most of the time we don't even consider it because yes. we we just look at it as a huge task because what's down the track is is sometimes too big for that facility to handle for example but you know it makes such a difference in people's lives whatever the organ might be and if if that chance of life was given to people it's just amazing couldn't agree more we need more access to people um you know People need more access to be able to um, speak about organ donation and uh, I think access the expertise when, you know, you do have a situation that arises, right? I know they've got like clinical um, uh, hotlines that you can ring in for um, support around some of that stuff too. So if anyone's interested, um, we'll drop the details in the show notes as well. Well, uh, it's been absolutely fascinating talking with you, James. Um, is there anything that we haven't covered that you think we need to? Um, you touched on it a little bit earlier. I just, you know, why not embarrass myself a little bit more? We're ED nurses. So, uh, you know, Family Feud, which is what you mentioned. Um, <laughs> yes, I, tell me about Family Feud. How did you end up there? Well, um, Grant Denyer and Channel 10, they decided to do a little bit of a give back program for us first responders. And our team luckily got through uh, for a little bit of an on-air on embarrassment in front of the nation. Uh if you've seen the show, you know that uh, you're on the spot and things just come out of your mouth sometimes. So you invent words like me. So things that <laughs> rhyme with Twitter. Uh, Twitter? Don't be like, like me. Twitter? Like tweeting Twitter? Yeah, Twitter, Twitter. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, we might think glitter, but James's brain just went, uh, let's just go Britta and just make all this up. And uh, <laughs> we had a good laugh. And... Uh, <laughs> fast money around well that's even more pressure you're on the line for a hundred thousand dollars and uh, Brent Denyer says to you name a place name something that's above the shelf or above your toilet and uh full disclosure this is not where I keep mine but on the time I decided to tell everybody that hey my toothbrush is up there so <laughs> <laughs> nice uh, just in case you need to brush your teeth while you're doing your business absolutely absolutely <laughs> <laughs> your mind just boggles in that moment so it goes crazy I would have thought that people whose lives are about like operating under stress you'd be well positioned to respond sensibly I must admit I've never had 100k on the line in a recess though so <laughs> fair enough fair enough <laughs> and so did you win after all that we didn't get the 100k but we certainly walked away with a good enough prize between us and it is a memory that, you know, and an experience 
like I was saying, you know, COVID had so much stress and so much pressure that it just boosted our morale and brought us together, the four of us, and even the community, because we were talking as much as we could about it and saying, you know, our, our main point of going on the show was A, to relax, but also for our community and say, you know what, we're still here for you. And, and let's just have a laugh together and let's have some fun. Mm, nice. Oh, well, I'm pleased that you enjoyed that experience. It does sound like it was memorable. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Grant, Daniel will never forget me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Well, thank you. It really has been fascinating. You're an incredibly interesting person. You know, lots of um, kind of dives and pivots through this conversation today. Uh, but I think the members will really love hearing it. So thank you so yeah. much. No trouble. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back after a quick word about the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association's Member Advantage Program. Did you know that as a member of the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association, you can save thousands of dollars a year through our Member Advantage Program? Your union membership gives you access to discounts for everything from groceries, white goods from the good guys, holidays, and even a new car. You can access it through your Member Central portal, and if you're not yet a member, join today by going to nswnma.asn.au to enjoy the benefits straight away. That's it for this episode of The Shift with Shay. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with James and I look forward to seeing you in a fortnight with more stories from the world of nursing and midwifery. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you have an interesting story you'd like to share with us, let us know by emailing us on the shift podcast at nswnma.asn.au. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging and recognise that this land was never ceded. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.